with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Hello, and welcome to Calling for Backup. I'm your host, Mariah, licensed therapist, cop granddaughter, cop daughter, cop wife, and I specialize in cop psychology. It is my hope and my intent to provide relevant topics and support for law enforcement and first responder families, particularly around emotional and psychological health. Each episode will cover a word, a skill, and a concept. So let's get started. Today's word is apathetic. Apathetic. And again, uh, the intent of the the word of the day is to extend emotional vocabulary as we are able to name things, we're able to more effectively process them, release them, cope with them. So apathetic is a feeling of being numb or bored or indifferent. It's kind of a sense of not caring very much about anything. And the danger of apathy is that it's not particularly uncomfortable. There's a reason we tend to go numb if we're overwhelmed with something, and that is to avoid discomfort. So apathy is an emotion that often is covering something else. And even if it's not, it it can be a fairly, quote, dangerous emotion because it doesn't make us uncomfortable. And typically, emotions that are uncomfortable are the motivating ones. When we feel anxiety, we feel motivated to either resolve the anxiety or get out of the situation or learn to be less anxious around it because it's uncomfortable. Um, If we are particularly sad, that is uncomfortable. And so we feel some motivation to move out of sadness. Uh, curiosity motivates us to learn more about something and and apathy is a very demotivizing emotion we don't have a lot of encouragement from it in fact apathy tends to encourage the lack of effort so we try less with pretty much everything when we're apathetic we're not uncomfortable enough to want to get out of apathy and apathy itself doesn't motivate anything because Inherently, it's not caring very much. Another issue with apathy is that boredom, which is kind of a version of apathy, and depression are cousins. So while it might not feel particularly distressing to be apathetic or to be bored with your own life or with your relationship or with your job or with your hobbies, whatever it is, but it can turn into depression very, very quickly. Boredom and depression are right next to each other. So if you're not paying attention, which apathy would encourage you to not pay attention because you don't care, uh, you can fall into a depressive episode very quickly without much warning. And when we're feeling apathetic, typically what this emotion is indicating is insufficient investment. If we are apathetic, it's very likely that we are not sufficiently investing in the different areas areas of our life. So we're potentially not investing sufficiently in our relationships, or in our jobs, or in our hobbies, or in our health, or insufficient effort into organizing our discretionary time in a way that feels meaningful to us and purposeful and enjoyable. So apathy is something that comes up a lot in the law enforcement community, in the human race in general. But again, this podcast is sort of tailored towards law enforcement and their families and um, any members who care of the community who interact with, care a lot about law enforcement. Um, 
And so apathy comes up a lot because it's so comfortable and because it is a numbing emotion that can cover other uncomfortable things. So if you have a lot of tension in your relationships, for example, becoming apathetic towards them is one way to cover that discomfort without actually having to resolve it. Or if you've hit a point that you no longer believe that a solution is feasible for whatever uncomfortable situation, whether that's, you know, sort of this disillusionment that happens at a certain point in law enforcement when you realize you're not going to be able to resolve all crime or uh, no matter how many times you arrest this person they keep going back they keep getting back out of jail and they keep doing the same things or you know there are a hundred different things that can be problematic and that we can recognize that this problem is going to be long term and it's very tempting to become apathetic then towards that struggle or that issue Um, It's also very tempting to become apathetic towards our own stress because it's not immediately or permanently resolvable. It's this ongoing thing that we have to maintain. And apathy provides this easy out where we can just stop caring (laughs) and we can stop investing. And that's the short-term comfort. Again, apathy is not particularly uncomfortable. It's more of a numbing agent. So it does come up a lot in the law enforcement community. And those are kind of the different things to know about it, that while it's not uncomfortable, it is somewhat dangerous because it encourages lack of effort. It's very close to boredom, which can turn into depression without you even noticing it. And it indicates the message of apathy is that there is insufficient investment somewhere in your life. So take a look at those things. If you're feeling apathetic or if you notice that your partner is feeling apathy, we might start at looking at insufficient investment in different areas of our lives. Okay, moving on to the skill. The skill of the day that I want to talk about is the snow globe effect. This is something that I I I don't know if I coined it, but I'm the only one I know that uses it. (laughs) The snow globe effect being, if you think about your brain as a snow globe being shaken up all day by all the complications of being the protector of a community, you're going to have a lot of floating pieces. And the snow globe effect is when we set aside skillful time, when we're transitioning from work to home and let the water clear. Now, the snow globe effect usually needs to take place before you interact with your family again. So if you are a graveyard shift, you might need time for the snow globe effect before you go to sleep, but a lot of times you can just go right to sleep or or a section of law enforcement can. And you still haven't fully cleared your brain, you just want to sleep. So snow globe effect typically is the space between when you get off work and when you first interact with your family, but there might be some modifications to that depending on shift work. So the snow globe effect is simply the act of mentally clearing the water so that you're starting from a place of neutrality when you are shifting purpose. So the purpose when you're on shift is very different than your purpose when you're at home. And I think snow globe effect is good for all caring professions. If you are caretaking in any way, whether you are policing, whether you're part of the medical community, part of the psychological community, a teacher, really any profession that has a lot of humans in it, (laughs) but professions in general, the snow globe effect becomes very important. And 
one of the things to keep in mind when you're thinking about clearing the water, letting the pieces settle so that you're reaching a place of neutrality, is that we need a max on it. Because otherwise, we could argue that we need, you know, three hours of decompression time. Decompressing and snow globe effect aren't quite the same thing. Um, they're both important, but but this one is just a quick clearing of the water, letting all the pieces settle without necessarily needing to resolve those individual pieces. So the maximum that I'm going to recommend if you implement snow globe effect would be 20 minutes. So set a timer for 20 minutes, and then we're just letting the pieces settle. We're letting our mind clear. We're not processing things. We're not thinking through the individual things. We're just letting everything settle so that we have that clear water. So a couple of ideas for this, it might be music. It might be just sitting in silence. Uh, It could be, you know, those silly phone games that I think there's one called bricks and balls that Mike plays a lot. Um, I've seen people play it used to be Candy Crush forever but that was several years ago like 10 or something that was a while ago but different phone games uh, meditation of course uh, animal care if you have horses or animals or pets that need taking care of taking care of them for 20 minutes can be just when you feel that mental activity that free-floating busyness start to settle and and you'll feel it you feel very aligned you feel more grounded you feel more neutral just that mental tension starts to ease uh, without again this isn't processing this is just settling uh, going for a walk of course workouts can do this one of my favorite things to do is to read for 20 minutes when I first get home nothing related to my profession um, fiction for me but it could be really anything as long as it's not work-related. Something to get my mind separated from the tension and busyness of my work mind so that I then, when I stop reading, I'm now neutral. Once I'm out of that plot, whatever I'm reading about, I'm now in a space of neutrality because I've separated from the mental weight and the mental frequency of the shaken snow globe. So keep in mind that even if you don't have active work thoughts going on, we still carry the echoes or the associated mental or emotional weight of our working brain, particularly anything related to law enforcement. So there's just, even if you're not thinking about your work day, that's not the same as having a settled, clear snow globe. Okay, so sometimes there are just thought echoes, which aren't particular conscious thought, but the weight, the mental activity behind them and still being sort of in that frequency, in that mindset, in that mental weight. So snow globe effect sort of resets that, clears that and allows us to start from neutral. Very, very important thing to master. Um, Again, maximum of 20 minutes. We don't want to move into numbing and we also don't want to move into decompression. Not that decompressing isn't important. It absolutely is. But the point of snow globe effect is simply simply to separate the mindsets and start from neutrality. Decompression is an actual relaxation technique that would probably take a little longer than 20 minutes. It's a little bit different than snow globe effect. Sometimes decompression needs to happen later. You know, a lot of us get home and we have families that we need to take care of and we have responsibilities that we shift into and it's not full decompression time yet. But snow globe effect only takes 20 minutes, in fact, a maximum of 20 minutes and can happen. Uh, before decompression and allow us to to transition into other responsibilities from a place of neutrality even if we don't have time to fully decompress 
I'm going to make a somewhat controversial uh, argument here in that social media, uh, particularly TikTok for those of us unfortunately addicted (laughs) to those dopamine hits, I think can work. I have seen it work for snow globe effect, not for decompression, but for snow globe effect, for that shift, for that break. I would say probably five to 10 minutes maximum on that just because of the dopamine centers and the addictive nature of it and the numbing effect and, 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 and there are a lot of reasons for that. So I would say, you know, when I use TikTok particularly for uh, a snow globe effect, I set a time, I've started setting a timer for five minutes so that I don't fall into the black hole of digital dopamine. And with a a short time limit like that, it's enough to break the mental pattern, but uh, not enough to start the harmful stuff. So that is a possibility. A lot of people disagree. I don't. Maybe give it a try and see. Snow globe effect. That's the skill. All right, let's move on to the concept. The concept for today that I want to discuss are obsessive tendencies obsessive tendencies. There is a high rate of obsessive thought pattern and obsessive tendency in the law enforcement community for obvious reasons, right? Um, Especially at the detective level, there's a lot of carrying your cases with you. There are a lot of cross responsibilities. There's a lot of figuring things out and putting mental puzzles together and things that are not well contained or easily contained like a call screen. And sometimes even on patrol, certain calls, you'll run them over and over and over and over. So when I talk about obsessive tendencies, what I mean is any thought or task or skill or hobby that gets trapped in our mind and disrupts natural mental flow. We all have a natural mental flow. Thoughts come in and thoughts leave and they circle back and thoughts often branch into other thoughts. We tend to think in chains. We tend to think in spider webs. There are a lot of different directions. There's a natural flow to our mind. And when I am talking about things getting stuck in our mind, that natural flow is disruptive. Our thoughts become very circular. We don't enjoy the same diversity of thought or maybe we don't enjoy it, but we don't experience the same diversity of thought. Even natural distraction is part of natural mental flow. And then how often you get distracted obviously determines like there are limits where it goes into ADD or ADHD, but, but distraction is part of a natural mental flow. So obsessive tendencies can be both good and bad. Obsessive tendencies can allow us to hyper-focus and put things together Uh, in ways that natural mental flow maybe wouldn't accommodate and that fits very naturally within to not just police work but the I don't want to say typical but um, normative police personality profile and that's also kind of contagious it's kind of trained into the police community and has this trickle-down effect into family members that live with police officers as well so when does it become bad And which parts of that do we want to keep? I would argue that obsessive tendencies become bad when we start to see disruptions in sleep, in balance, in relationships, in the ability to be present, and or in the ability to derive pleasure from multiple sources. So if only one thing ever makes you happy, we might be in 
the negative sphere of obsessive tendencies. So when it's causing problems for you. The ability to identify, address, and control obsessive tendencies really comes down to a mental discipline. This is a mental discipline. This doesn't come easily or naturally. You're not going to have, if it qualifies as an obsessive tendency, you're missing the natural start-stop cues that we experience with other things. We do something for a while and then we become naturally bored or something else captures our attention or we get tired or we're just kind of ready for something different. We tend to crave diversity naturally. So when those natural cues, those start-stop cues go away, then we have to introduce a discipline and discipline by nature means an a self-imposed structure that makes us do something that we're not naturally wanting to do so one of the things that's really helpful with obsessive tendencies is a blueprint and by that I mean we schedule block time for setup session so if this is a behavior um I think, I, I don't know how many of these episodes my husband's actually going to listen to, but he will be brought up in many of them. <laughs> so I think I have a good argument that he's currently obsessed with jujitsu. And part of keeping that within a healthy range does include him schedule blocking time for jujitsu regularly because he likes it. And because that is something he really wants to do. And if he has access to that on a regular basis, and he knows, okay, five days a week, I'm going to be able to do this, then at other points during his week, when he's doing other things, the obsessive tendency will actually relax a little bit, because he has regular access to this thing that his brain wants to attach to. So schedule blocking time for the thing that you feel a little obsessed with is important. And in this case, it's a hobby and a behavior. But there are also thoughts that we get obsessed on, you know, and whether that is putting together a case, whether that is replaying a conversation that you've had, whether that is trying to think through a problem, whether that's trying to plan something for the future, resolve something from the past, spend time processing grief. Um, There are a lot of things that can become obsessed tendencies. And so, you know, in the positive way, it's schedule blocking time for that. But it's also putting time limits. So for example, I worked with an officer that became kind of obsessive and anxious around if his reports were going to be approved. So he would check, he would submit a report and then just start checking like, every five minutes to see if it had been approved. That's now an obsessive tendency. And I had a hard time thinking about other things or coming to emotional neutrality until he saw that it had been approved. So for him, blueprinting would include how many times is he allowed to check on reports to see if they've been approved. And however, you take wherever you're at and, you know, try to maybe cut it in half if it's if it's causing negative emotions or mindsets or if it's causing problems for you. So it's also a time limit. So setting aside a time, it's a time dedication, but it's also a time limit. Um, This can also go with behaviors for if you're obsessively checking locks all the time, home security stuff that happens in early law enforcement careers. Set a cap. How many times are you allowed to check the locks before you just force yourself to go to bed and stop checking? You know, um, how long are you going to let yourself sit and replay a conversation? Set a time limit, set literal worry time. Like, okay, for 20 minutes, you can sit and obsess about this thing you're worried about. And then when that timer goes off, set a physical timer, you're moving on to something else, knowing that you can come back to it tomorrow. 
And that's kind of how we discipline our mind. When the mind wants to obsess on something, it is persistent. Whether that, again, is a thought, a problem, a case, uh, replaying a conversation, thinking about our grief, a behavior, whatever it is. Um, If we're checking for something, you know, hand washing, those types of things. It's it's a time dedication and it's also a time limit or a frequency limit. And so we're really imposing that without completely removing something because if the mind is wanting to obsess on it, we're going to need to cooperate on some level in order to reach like this comforter, comfortable neutrality or this balance that we're looking for. Um, another thing to keep in mind when we're dealing with obsessive tendencies in ourselves or in our partners or in other people is we need a interest diversity or a time investment diversity. It's important that we be interested in multiple things, right? It's important that more than one thing make us happy or interested or worth our time. So spending time in multiple endeavors, is going to help with obsessive tendencies and, and keep that within check, right? Because again, obsessive tendencies can be really helpful, especially in police work, but it can also get away from us and cause a lot of problems and disruptions. Um, this comes up often with couples in conversations. So the inability to talk about anything other than insert current obsession. So I can only talk about jujitsu. I can only talk about police work. I can only talk about blah. Uh, We can even become obsessed with relationships. I can only talk about, and I see this more in um, stereotypically, I'm not saying this is always, but it tends to be more in females, myself included, but anyone can get stuck on, I can only talk about my relationship and particularly relationship problems. Or you might notice like people in their honeymoon phase and all they can talk about is how amazing their partner is and how perfect everything is. And you just want to like punch them in the face and be like, you know, I give it five years. Um, But, but diversity of conversation. And so a lot of times, again, taking it back to especially in law enforcement, we will see an atrophy in the ability to talk about things other than law enforcement and the gym. So one way to address this is ask questions about topics that you may not feel a natural interest in. So if your partner wants to talk about a book they're reading, even though you may not give two I just stopped myself from swearing because I want to be able to click the clean box so it's not marked as explicit. I don't know why I want to do that, but I do. Two two craps about uh, that book. Just ask a couple questions about it because a lot of times in formulating questions about it, in feigning interest, we do glean a little bit more interest or we are at least a little more engaged or invested in that conversation. And that's how you sort of reduce the atrophy. That's how you increase the flexibility of conversation and the diversity of topic options in in what we talk about and what we're interested in therefore what we think about and therefore what we participate in so that can be a really helpful thing to keep in mind so that's in a nutshell obsessive tendencies how they're helpful how they're harmful how to know the difference between I'm really passionate about this and now I'm becoming obsessive and then what to do to develop that mental discipline uh, to, to keep yourself in the healthy zone, keep your relationships in the healthy zone, keep your life in the healthy zone.
So that's it for today. Our emotion was apathetic, the skill was the snow globe effect, and the concept was obsessive tendencies. Thanks for being here, and I hope to talk to you again next time. Bye.